0: I don't know about you, but I am thankful for the many gifted people that God has sent to Holland Chapel. Not only um, the fact that they're gifted, but the fact that they don't let life prohibit them from using those gifts and talents. I could point out everybody on the stage, and uh, I know she'll say I should point it to somewhere else, but Miss Riley Davis, who was up here, you may not know her, but Riley is planning a wedding and attending med school And still serving the Lord in the middle of it. And it just makes me um, just all kinds of thankful to see people uh, use their gifts and talents for the Lord no matter what is going on in their lives. And you might say, speaking of what's going on, Nick, uh, I've been here three weeks in a row and this is the third guy on the stage. Well, let me just tell you, last week we had special guest Nick Hall and we celebrated Amplify. And uh, Amplify, we got to uh, talk about that almost 900 people accepted Jesus Christ right here in our backyard last week. So we had to celebrate that last week and tens of thousands of people gathered together to amplify his name. So not only the little break for Amplify, but you've also got us where we're wrapping up one sermon series and getting ready for the next sermon series. Luke Brown is Holland Chapel's teaching pastor, and most of the time you're going to see him up here bringing God's word. In fact, he'll be back next week, and in two weeks, two weeks from today, we're going to begin a sermon series entitled God's Design. Check out this video.
1: building a home. What an awesome adventure. Many of you may have gone down that road or at least know someone that has. But typically, it begins with an architect. You you take your dream, you take your dream home, your dream design to them and say, hey, make this happen for me. And the architect draws up his perfect design for your home. But then a lot of things happen along the building process weather delays, uh, working with contractors. A lot of things can happen to potentially throw off your dream, to throw off that bill. A lot of things can happen to, to ultimately change the way that home looks. But one thing that doesn't change, those original plans, that, that perfect design. Well, the same thing is true with your life. God has a perfect design. He's got a perfect plan for you. He's got a perfect plan for me. And I believe that, that life happens. Sin creeps in to the equation and can throw things all off. But it doesn't change the fact that God has a perfect design. September 10th, we're going to kick off a brand new sermon series called God's Design, where we're going to look at His perfect plan for you, His perfect plan for your marriage, for for parenting, for for family. We're going to look at God's perfect design. We want you to join us September 10th at Holland Chapel as we take part in looking at God's design.
0: Anybody else thankful for God's perfect design and how it has played out in your life? In, in my life, um, I grew up here at Holland Chapel and came faithfully with my parents every single week and went off to Jonesboro for college and it was in college in Jonesboro that I began to feel the call to ministry and uh, didn't really know what that looked like, didn't know what uh, would become of that. And uh, I finished up college, my wife and I moved back here, and, and I just said, God, I'm just going to be available, and I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to do whatever it is that you put out in front of me. I'm going I'm to go through whatever doors you open, and I'm going to just serve you the best I can. And we'll see how that perfect design plays out. And so uh, I came back, and I taught Sunday school and did several things here at the church. And uh, there became a need for a student pastor and we were just getting a new lead pastor at the time as well, and, and he didn't know anyone. And someone picked up the phone and called him and said, Hey, uh, Jason, uh, we need a student pastor. Why don't you call Nick Calloway and see if he's interested? Well, Nick Calloway hadn't uh, asked about it, hadn't met Jason Talent. And Jason calls uh, on the referral of a church member and says, Would you be interested In uh, becoming our student, or or coming on board part time, and let's see how it goes, and become the student pastor. And at that time, in uh, June of 2007, HCSM, as we know it, Holland Chapel Student Ministry, began. And 16 years later, thousands of teenagers have heard the gospel, and they've been invested in by hundreds of adult volunteers uh, because of God's perfect design. I'll I'll read Ephesians 3, uh, verse 20. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work, a mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And I can say wholeheartedly that that has been the case for my life. Way more than God ever, I I ever imagined that God would do with just someone saying, God, I'm going to be available and I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to be faithful. And that would be my advice to you if you want to see God's perfect plan unfold for your life. Be available. And be faithful. Uh, The last few years, I've gained some more administrative responsibility, and 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 kind of steered out of student ministry a little bit. And so, we've planned for a change, and so that's why I tell you this uh, testimony of Nick Calloway, so I could just tell you, give you a little update. So, we've planned for a change, and Grant Yaza has been right beside me for sixteen years. And there's no one more ready to take over student ministry than Grant Yaza. And so in uh, this week, actually, uh, Grant is going to be uh, taking over the student ministry role. And I want to tell you, Holland Chapel, that's something to celebrate because there are hundreds of churches looking for a student pastor. And we have one right here that we're able to make a nice, smooth handoff for. And I want to tell you, if you have students in the 5th grade through 12th grade, get them involved in HCSM because I'm confident that the Lord is going to continue to grow that ministry under Grant's leadership, and more and more teenagers are going to come to know the Lord because of that. So I want you to just celebrate Grant for me real quick and his availability and ready to take over student ministry. Paul's ministry, as we get into our Letters to My Son series, Paul's ministry is also coming to an end as we wrap up our series here. Uh, Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy. If you've come for the last few weeks, you know that we've been in this series through First and 2 Timothy. He wrote those letters to his son in the faith, uh, Timothy. Timothy was pastoring a new church in uh, Ephesus. And Paul instructs him on the issue of false teachers, on offices and order within the church. Uh, he makes it clear that a life changed by the gospel will be very evident to the world around them. And so he sends that letter, that first Timothy letter, and then a couple of years later, he uh, writes back with Second Timothy. And Paul, knowing what he knew about persecution, what he knew about trials, and here's what he knew, that they're coming, that no matter how uh, great things seem to be, persecution is coming, trials, heartache, all those things are coming. So knowing what Paul knew about that, he writes 2 Timothy to his son in the faith, Timothy. And throughout the book of 2 Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy to remain faithful. Remain faithful. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 4. 2nd Timothy chapter 4 as we close out our series this morning. While you're turning there, I want to ask you, have you ever heard the phrase the famous last words? Famous last words. It usually comes with a little bit of comedy. Uh, Famous last words. I've wrote down a few of them. Uh, You might have said these before. You might have heard these famous last words before. Uh, Look mom, no hands. Uh, maybe uh, you've gotten away with it to this point and someone says, just one more time. Just one more time. And that was the one that caused all the trouble. Uh, One famous last word. I've never tried to say this one. Uh, Honey, that outfit is not very flattering. (laughs) Famous last words. I saw this one online. Here, kitty, kitty. Famous last (laughs) (laughs) words. Well, this shouldn't be too difficult. That's a famous last word. Uh, many electricians in the room, I know, have. I hope they've not uh, said this uneducated. I think it's the red wire. My dad's famous last words: Any time a project comes up, he says that should take about an hour. <laughs> Two days later, the, the tires are still off the car. It should take about an hour. I had one particular instance of famous last words in high school. Um, we couldn't get to our usual uh, cheer mats that we would get on to dunk a basketball goal in the, uh, on the 10-foot goal in the arena over here at Benton. And, and so we pulled out some chairs. And my famous last words were, hey, uh, Brent, hold this chair. And it uh, folded up on me and ended in a broken arm. But on a much more serious note, we could call 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's famous last words these are his last words written to us and so it's a very um, to me it makes me want to lean in makes me want to uh, to listen closely the man who gave us um, incredible passages of scripture like rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice peace that passes all understanding I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me And My grace is sufficient for you to live as Christ, to die as gain. All things work together for the good of those who love him. We've used those words. We've leaned on those words. Paul also gave us the the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the fruit of the spirit, the armor of God. And so here Paul tells us the last thing uh, that he wants to share, the last thing on his mind to pass on to Timothy. And that's our passage in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. So to set the stage, just to understand a little bit more of the gravity, not only are these his last written words to us, but Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He has been sentenced to die. He's, uh, this, uh, this book was written around somewhere, uh, they say, as late as A.D. 67, and Paul would be killed before the end of A.D. 68. And Paul knows that his uh, day of, uh, of his death is coming. And so this could be as close to within one year of the end of Paul's life. So what does he say? What are his famous last words? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom... Solemnly urge. Uh, Another version I really like says, I give you this charge. I give you this charge. That's what Paul says to Timothy as he's wrapping up this letter. He says, I give you this charge. And notice the confidence that Paul has there at the end of verse 1. When he comes to set up his kingdom. That confidence is going to show up a little bit later here in this chapter. He has complete confidence, and because of this confidence, he tells Paul or tells Timothy, "I'm going to give you this charge. I solemnly urge you." Verse two: Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether it is time, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. As I was studying this this week, I. I took a little pause, and, and, and so before we break that down, I'll ask you the same question that I asked to a couple of guys in the office. I was like, wait a minute. As I'm reading this, am, am I preaching a message to the church that was given to Timothy and meant for pastors alone? Yes, it is given to Timothy and meant for pastors, but, but pastors and elders aren't the only people who are called to share the gospel. And so this passage is very applicable to everyone It's not just for pastors. Yes, it was written to Timothy, but it all uh, fits perfectly with our mission. You see, Ephesians 4, uh, verse 12 says their responsibility, the pastor's responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Well, how do you build up the church, the body of Christ? You share the word. You tell the gospel. You share the good news. So every believer in Jesus has been called to share The good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection to do his work and build up the church to grow his kingdom. And so with that in mind, now let's reread it. Paul says, I give you this charge. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. We're going to take just a moment and break down these three categories here. First of all, preach the word. Again, he's not just talking about preaching the word from the stage. He's talking about sharing the good news. Telling people all around you about Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. We used this verse in our missions night just last month. The Bible says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Again, not just talking about the pastor's feet being beautiful. All those out on mission, at the workplace, in the home, uh, out in the community, sharing the gospel. Those are beautiful feet. In fact, another version says that uh, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. That's all of us. How beautiful are messengers who bring good news. That's you and me. We have a message about a God who loves us about a Savior who died for us, a King who's coming again that we just sang about. We're all, uh, as the Bible says, Christ's ambassadors, His messengers, as though God were making His appeal through us. So, church, if you have a story of faith, share it. At work, at school, at the grocery store, to your kids. Those specific people are around you for a reason. God is going to give you an opportunity and, and Paul knows he's going to give you an opportunity and that's why he follows up with the next uh, section of Scripture. That's why he says, be prepared. Be prepared. Don't get caught with your guard down. I've had these happen to me and I'm sure you have as well. Have you ever had a... What I would call a driving incident, whether it not a not a wreck, but maybe you're jockeying for a position out on the road, maybe they're tailgating you a little bit or you're tailgating them a little bit, and then you end up turning into the same parking spot or parking lot. It's uncomfortable. You're not prepared in that moment to share the gospel. Gotten a little excited at a ball game. And then someone comes up to you with their friend that they want to invite to church. And they say, hey, this is a a church member. This person goes to church with me. And you've just kind of stuck your foot in your mouth about the referee a few moments ago. Or maybe it's been so long since you spoke to God that you're in no position to introduce someone to him. You're not prepared. So how can we be prepared? There are 31 people on the uh, back side of that screen right now. having a new member class. And in new member class, one of the big emphasis is uh, these two words, invest and invite. So how can we be prepared? We, we invest in people. We love people. We be ready. Um, they go hand in hand. And here's where I have fallen short. Too many times, the, uh, the invite, the opportunity invite has come up, but I've not invested in those people, either because of my attitude, my actions, the way I acted, or maybe I had just been ignoring them. And then when they needed me, I didn't have any investment in them. So invest and invite. Paul says, whether the time is favorable or not, this probably gets us. Because we're on a a mission, and the mission is not to share Jesus. The mission is to go to the store and get milk. Or the mission is to get my kids to school on time. Or the mission is it's 5 o'clock and i got to get out of the office and get home. Paul says whether the time is favorable or not. In other words, whether it fits your schedule or not, be prepared to share the gospel. Be ready to audible your plan when God gives you an opportunity that doesn't align with it. Stay on mission. Be prepared. He goes on to say, correct, rebuke, and encourage. And he follows that up with great patience and careful instruction. You think Paul knew this was a touchy subject? With great patience and careful instruction. Why? Because that can make or break that discipleship relationship. We can preach the word. We can share the gospel. We can tell the good news. We can be prepared. We can uh, be on our toes, ready to answer those questions. But if we don't do it with great patience and careful instruction, that relationship can really be damaged. can make or break the relationship. That requires getting familiar with Scripture, great patience and careful instruction. You have to know the Word. I think a major problem when it comes to sharing the Word is that a lot of Christians just don't know it. We just, we just don't know it. And it's the very Word of God that's applicable to every life situation, every uh, dilemma you're going to find yourself in, every um, every counsel question somebody's going to ask you from work or from school. And if we don't know it, how can we share it, especially with careful instruction? Growth groups. I'll give a little commercial for growth groups. That's a great way. Uh, Pastor Todd's going to get up in a little bit, and he's going to share some announcements. And one of them is going to be growth groups. Uh, Holland Chapel is launching those on September 10th. It's a great way to get into a group with some other believers and study God's word so that you'll be prepared, so that you can correct, rebuke, and encourage and share the gospel. Preach the word. Be prepared. Correct and encourage. That's Paul's, uh, some of Paul's final words to us. He goes on, though, because, again, he has enough experience to know that people are not going to want to listen. He knows that Timothy's going to run into hardships. He knows that Timothy's going to run into trials and, and problems. And so in verse 3 and 4, he, he, uh, he tells him that those problems are coming and that, that di- they can be disheartening. And so he continues this charge, this, uh, this go get them, this uh, i leave you with this charge in verse 5, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He says, "...but you should keep a clear mind in every situation." Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord, but work at telling others the good news and carefully, and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Again, this fits everybody. This is not just preaching from the stage. Fully carry out that ministry that God has given you. Your ministry may be hospitality. It may be kids ministry. It may be students. It may be music, tech, welcoming. May, you may lead a growth group. Fully carry out that ministry. And guess what? All ministry doesn't happen here in these walls. You have a ministry out in the community. Maybe your ministry doesn't happen here at church, but it's at the workplace. Maybe it's coaching a rec team. Maybe it's discipling a friend. Maybe it's being a parent. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Give it your all. I just think about Paul sitting there thinking, How can I finish this out? What am I going to tell Timothy? And the most important thing he thought to tell Timothy was to tell him to keep going, fully carry it out. Back in April, Grant and I were um, continuing this plan to make this uh, switch and, and trade off. And we went to a student, student pastor conference and I was all excited about it because I thought, yeah, this is going to be a couple of couple of easy days for me they'll teach Grant all kinds of new stuff and he can he can come back ready to go and and I don't really need this that much I've been in it for 15 years well I had a wake-up call and uh as Grant would say it hit a little different this story that I'm about to tell you it's one of the series he's going to do with the students this fall it hits differently they told a story that I'd heard many times before and I'll share it with you this morning. John Stephen Aquari, this is him on the screen. He was a marathon runner who represented Tanzania in the 1968 Olympics. Now, he wasn't very likely to win the race. It was never really thought that he was going to bring home a gold medal. And quickly in the race, it became apparent that that was not going to be the case. He began to, to cramp up because of the high elevation. And then he, became, then he got tangled up in a, a group of athletes kind of jockeying for position, and they all took a tumble, and, and he fell to the ground. He gnashed up his knee and caused a dislocation when he, uh, shoulder when he fell into the pavement. And uh, most observers, seeing this uh, mess of athletes on the ground and seeing his injuries, they just assumed he would pull out and go to the hospital. In fact, 18 of the 75 starters pulled out. But instead, instead, John Stephen he received medical attention, and he returned back to the track, continued his race. You could imagine at a much slower pace. Well, all while this is going on, uh, the winner of the race crosses the finish line. The medals are have been awarded. People are beginning to go home from the arena, and here he comes limping towards the stadium. Most of the people had left, but as he entered the arena and people would realize that he was a runner. He was on the track. He was still wearing his uniform. His bandage was flapping in the wind and uh, people began to clap and they began to cheer as he had finished the race one hour after the winner. You might think, why would he have just embarrassed himself in front of all those people, came in there all hurt and limped and bandaged just to finish last place? And that's kind of what the reporter was thinking when she asked him. She said, why, why did you carry on? What, what caused you not just to go to the hospital and say, oh, well, we'll get them next time? And his response has kind of gone down in, in sporting history, and it, again, just hit me differently when I was about to kind of cash out of student ministry in April when I wasn't supposed to until September. He said this to the reporter. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. He says, finish the race. You weren't blessed with gifts and abilities, church, to make excuses. God didn't give you a story to tell so you could keep it to yourself. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Recognize that ministry is a gift from God to be used for his honor and his glory and finish the race. One of our church's patriarchs, Tom Honeycutt, passed away this past week. At his, at his funeral, I called him the church's Swiss Army Knife because he served in so many different ways, from kids' ministry to... Uh, I could just make a long list. I won't bore you with it. But he served in a million different... Not a million. That was a stretch. Sorry. I, I'm trying to catch myself. He served in a lot of ways, Keaton. He served the Lord to the end to the very end. He fought the good fight. He finished the race, as Paul would say, and Paul says that of himself in verse 6 as we continue to read in chapter 4. He said, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Paul saying, Timothy, I've, I've given it all I've got. I've been poured out like a drink offering. I've given all that I've got. Was Paul saying that he was perfect and he should get a, a, a blue ribbon? No, not at all. Earlier in Timothy, and in, uh, in, he called himself the worst of all sinners. Earlier in this very letter, he calls him the, himself the worst of all sinners. Paul's not saying pat me on the back. I finished. I fought the good race. Give me a, a trophy and a medal. No, he's just saying I gave it my all. I didn't quit. He says, I got to the end still giving all I have to advance the gospel because of what God has done for me. He wasn't quitting at that moment either. In fact, in what I would consider the P.S. of the letter, uh, the part we're not going to get to today when he's given kind of his um, final salutations, he asked Timothy to bring his books and his papers. And he knows he has a death sentence. He knows that he's not going to get out of that prison But he tells Timothy, bring me my books and my papers. I want to continue to study. I want to continue to write to the very day that he would die. After all he'd been through, beatings, shipwrecks, sitting in prison right now, how could he keep going? Uh, We go through a lot in life, and life hits us, and we're like, how can we keep going? How how could Paul continue to go even while he's sitting in prison and saying, uh, finish the race? Because of Psalm 35. Twenty-seven, and what Paul's going to tell us at the end of our message this morning. But Psalm 35, 27 says, Great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. We can keep going because we have peace knowing that God is in control, that God has already won the victory. God grants his servants like Paul and like Tom Honeycutt and like you and I the promise and assurance of everlasting life With him. He gives us that peace to keep on going. We have the same hope that giants of the faith like Paul had to keep going. So, why so many times does it not click with us? Why so many times do we have to be reminded? We have that same assurance, that same hope. Remember Paul's confidence from verse 1. I said that we would see it again, verse 8, the last verse we're going to look at this morning. Paul says this, And now the prize awaits me. Again, not a blue ribbon, not a trophy. The prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Notice that confidence. He will give it on the day of his return. There was no doubt in Paul's mind. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. For all, we can have that same confidence, that same peace, that same assurance. So, church, here's the deal to steal a quote from Nick Hall from last week. We have the greatest mission on earth. We have the greatest mission on earth. And Paul's last words to us are to remain faithful, don't quit, keep going. You have the greatest mission. To make Jesus known and have the peace that passes all understanding to fulfill that mission. So don't quit, Paul says. Our example, our perfect example for the Christian life, didn't quit. Jesus, all the way to the end of his purpose here on earth, hanging on the cross. And what did Jesus say? He said, It is finished. He didn't quit, he didn't stop short. He didn't tap out of the the, uh, betrayal, the beatings, the torture. He went all the way to the end and he said it is finished. He had finished the race, completed the mission that he left heaven for. To live a sinless life, to be the only perfect sacrifice for our sins, and to rise again, to restore our relationship with God and allow us to live forever with him and to give us that peace, that confidence, that assurance while we're on this mission to not... Quit. So I'll leave you with a couple of questions, church. Do you need to place your faith in Jesus today for the forgiveness of sin? We've sung about it. We've read about it. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he didn't quit. He went all the way to the end so that you could have a relationship with God the Father by asking him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life, be the Lord of your life. Maybe that's what you need to do today is place your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Or maybe you just need to be encouraged and challenged by Paul's last words to us. Maybe you're like me and uh, you're thinking about uh, tapping out and coasting a little bit. Maybe you're thinking about, hey, I'm, I, I sent my kids off to college. Or, or I'm, I'm a grandparent now. Or I, I've just served in that ministry for 10 years. I'm going to take a year off. Maybe you just needed to be challenged. Like Paul said, to not quit. Don't let up. Finish the race. Pastor Todd's going to tell you in just a moment how you can respond. When I first saw this passage, I I was studying, I was reading it, and and when Paul says that, I give you this charge. I'm a sports fan, so my first thought was was thinking about doing like a pregame speech and and show some old football pregame speeches from the coaches, like giving you this charge, go get them, you know. And, and I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, when you run out of that football, when you run out of that tunnel onto the field, after the coach gave the best speech of all time, you don't really know the outcome of the game. You don't know if all that blood and sweat and tears was be, is going to pay off, is going to be worth it in the end. You don't know if you're going to win or if you're going to lose, no matter how good the pregame speech is. But we as Christians, we as believers in Jesus Christ, we do know the outcome. It is worth it. And so how much faster should we run out of that tunnel and get on the field and finish the race? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Paul's incredible letter to us. Thank you for knowing your people, knowing that we were going to need some encouragement, knowing that we were going to be tempted to to tap out knowing that we were going to face persecution or ridicule or, or just life and be tempted to give up, to stop short. And so thank you for giving us this challenge from your word to keep going, that it is worth it, that we do have a peace, that you have won the victory, and that we do have a home in heaven waiting I pray, Lord, that this would be a group of believers, a body of believers who would take this mission, this greatest mission in the world, and carry it all the days of our lives. That we would be prepared, that we would share your incredible good news, that we would be careful as we instruct and as we encourage our neighbors. Use us, Lord. And please let us be found faithful. In Jesus' name I pray.